welcome to Creative Chat, the show in which creativity is celebrated and explored with a little therapy thrown in. Each show brings artists from different modalities together to discuss their art, their creative process, and how we all are interconnected. Tune in today to find out how with your host, Dr. Judy Bloom and entertainer, Richard Skipper. I'm Richard. <laughs> Judy. <laughs> Hi, Judy. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Richard? I'm doing great. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Indeed. What so are you as- Glorious Thursday. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, here in New York, it's 75 degrees today. Uh, it may be crazy out in the world, and it is, uh, mm-hmm. but today it is so beautiful here. But we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate a lot today uh, because we have three amazing people on the show. We are going to cover in the course of the next hour uh, various corners of the entertainment business. So there are a lot of isms in this business. Um, are there a few that pop into your mind as you think about this? Sex, sexism, ageism, yes. <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I was looking for. And I want to ask, which of those isms uh, do you feel that you deal with the most? Um, interesting. You know, I'm, I live in an area of, of uh, Florida, Naples, Florida, where the predominant uh, age of the population is probably 60 and up, right? So it's a different, although there are a lot of younger people around too, I'm not saying there aren't, but definitely there's a, there are a lot of older people. So it's, you know, it's something that I think is more in my awareness mm-hmm. because of that, that age becomes an issue. For people. Uh, is age an issue with you? Not in the slightest. <laughs> you embrace your age? Absolutely. You know, what's the alternative? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely agree. And I absolutely embrace my age. And our first guest today is someone who has turned uh, ageism and the love of self and age uh, into an art form itself. Uh, Before I bring her on, I have a little clip that I'd like to share with everyone, and we'll meet Marianne Alda on the other side. I'm so thrilled that she's here again. So uh, take a look at this. I've been a woman and Black all my life, but not even that prepared me for the discrimination I would face once I got to be old. For more than 30 years, I made my living as an actress, but when I turned 50 and the casting director stopped calling and my agent suggested that I gain 50 pounds so that I could do more character work, my response was, oh, hell no. So I redirected my natural actor's curiosity into becoming a hypnotherapist. Most of my clients were women my age suffering from depression. And I soon came to realize that they'd already been hypnotized into believing that women lose value and sexual currency as we got older. And then a funny thing happened. The positive suggestions that I gave my clients snapped me out of my own trance. Give up a career that I love and that I'm good at because I'm too old? Oh, hell no. So after 30 years of working in television, 
I went back to my roots of live performing and reinvented myself as a performance artist and, drum roll please, stand-up comic. Now, I'm casting a new spell with a positive message about the vibrancy, vitality, and viability of women of all ages. Oh, hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> Thank you, Richard. It was actually on Sunday was the actual day and I turned 75. So this is my diamond jubilee year. I am celebrating the entire year. Great. And I know the song is Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, but in this instance, diamonds are also a guy's best friend. Can, can you see I, I'm wearing my diamonds? I have been in love with you for the longest time. And of course, you and I had a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, but today you get to meet Judy Bloom as well. And you Judy. have something in common. We both embrace aging. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're both uh, hypnotist. Uh, you are uh, uh, both hypnotherapists. Yes. Hypnotherapists. I also do hypnotherapy. So, but I have so, tried, tried doing it with uh, age related issues uh, that I haven't tried doing. Well, I trained at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Tarzana, California. And uh, most of my clients were from the Encino, Tarzana area, which mm -hmm. if you know anything about California, that's a very wealthy um, community. And these women had everything, you know, in terms of money, they had, some of them had very successful careers or they didn't have careers and they, you know, they were ladies who lunch, uh, but a lot of them were empty nesters and they were in there for the most part, late forties, early fifties. And they were suffering from midlife depression. And mm. it was through my work with them that I realized that my job was not to hypnotize them, but to dehypnotize them from all of the negative um, stereotypes and, and imprinting that we had, that they had in their subconscious mind about what it's like to be an older woman in our, uh, in our culture. And so it became my mission to change that paradigm on women and aging. And of course, you know, actors are highly suggestible. So when I was giving my clients the positive suggestions, it took root in my own subconscious mind. And I thought, well, I have to practice what I preach. I can't tell these women that they can go out and live their best lives if I'm not living mine. So um, my very first solo show was at the auditorium at the HMI. And it was snap out of it. You've only been hypnotized into believing you're over the hill. And from then on, that just became my, um, I created this character, Dr. Ginger, uh, um, an adult sex ed, sex ed evangelist and mojo motivator. And I just, my current solo show is uh, getting old as a bitch, but I'm going to wrestle that bitch to the ground. And that just became my ministry, you know, to really work with changing 
these mental blocks and these images that we have about what it means to get older, to change the narrative on what it's like to, to, to get older. And I do believe that the entertainment industry is starting to embrace um, getting older and older women. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they've had a sudden change of heart or the, the fact that they realize that uh, financially it's just good business to cater mm -hmm. to older people. So, but whatever the reason, it's it it's it bodes well for all of us. Yes. The the book club is is coming out book club 2, I guess it is, coming out uh, this weekend actually in time for Mother's Day, speaking of of women, right? Yep. Um and you know, that again is it emphasizes positive aging and looking at aging it as uh, you know, not the end of things, but really kind of the beginning of things. It can be liberating. It can be freeing. You can become the person you were actually always meant to be as you embrace, you know, what really matters in your life. Absolutely. Marianne, I want to ask you, prior to this, uh, when you got older, as a younger actress, did your age ever come into your consciousness? Were you ever thinking about it as you were pursuing your career and making your mark in the business? Actually, you know, it didn't really accept in a positive way because I was thinking about all the great roles that I wouldn't get to play until I got to be older. I looked at actresses <laughs> like, uh, like Ruby D and Diane Carroll and I, aspired to do those real, you know, those gritty, juicy roles as I, as I got older. And um, the odd thing is that when I hit 50, and that's when the casting directors really stopped, stopped calling me, uh, my agent suggested that I gain 50 pounds that I could do more character work. Mm -hmm. Because in my earlier career as an ingenue and a young leading lady, I realized looking back on it, that a lot of what I played was an appendage to a man. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the wife of, or the girlfriend of, mm -hmm. and you know, the pretty girl. Well, what do you do with the pretty girl when she gets older? And so, you know, my, my agent said, well, you can't do that anymore. So maybe we can push you into this, you know, just, just, you know, fatten up a little bit. And that was the most ridiculous thing that I ever heard of. He's not my agent anymore, either, by the way. Um, but you know, it's I, very interesting. Yeah. The other day I was listening to um, a podcast about Leslie Jordan and Leslie Jordan talked about arriving in Hollywood as a gay man, a very short gay man. Um, and he felt all of this shame that was building up inside of him. And he was an alcoholic. This was all common knowledge. This is all in his book. He uh, ended up in jail for 100, uh, 120 days uh, because of an accident that he was in, almost killed someone from this car accident. And he was, um, and, uh, but when he came out of jail, he said, I'm never gonna drink again. He went into AA. And it was his sponsor who said to him, when you walk into an audition, when you walk into a room, walk in not with what are they going to give me? What am I going to get out of this? But how can I be of service? 
to the people here. And as I was listening to this, it was just like a wake up call in terms of how we all should approach how we do everything in life. Um, And you have turned into this giving back. Um, You have this amazing career all around this. Well, I I do, but I I want to address what you just said about, about being of service. I, I I was uh, taught at the Negro Ensemble Company in New York for a couple of years when I was living in New York. And whenever I teach or coach young actors, I insist that being an actor, we are in a service industry. It's not about look at me, look at me, look at me. It's about the audience. You're in service to the audience. You're in service to the writer who wrote the story. You're in service to the director and you're definitely in service to the producer who has invested his money in this. So being an actor is is less about ego and more about humility and and charity and and giving and you know it's and how lucky that we get to do it. I always say that that talent is what God gives to you. And what you do with it is your gift back to God. And mm. when I'm out of here, I want to be all used up. <laughs> Excuse me. I got choked up over that. Um, but I, you know, I totally agree with you on this. And, uh, and I think that with whatever your profession may be, to anyone who's watching, if we go into it with the idea of what can we give instead of what can we get out of it, mm-hmm. it, it well, you know, the, I think the world would be a better place. Oh, I agree. Hundred percent. If we could, we could just, and you know, sometimes we, we, we can't wait for the world to catch up to us and to get to be a better place. We just have to live our truth and our integrity and give even when others aren't. Because at the end of the day, um, that's how you are best in service to yourself and to your spirit and your soul. Well, I want to go to the other side of the business, and I want to bring on our next guest, uh, because uh, Michael Roberts, uh, he is a writer, he's a composer, he is the president of the American Songbook Association, and of course, one of my favorite organizations around, and uh, Michael, you, uh, in your uh, line of business, do you think about ageism at all? Is it something that ever comes in to your... Uh, uh, thought processes? Sure. Uh, I'm fortunate that uh, being a theater composer, theater writer, that uh, we very often, if we hang around long enough, can gain respect, you know, that comes with age and all that. Um, And, uh, but it does have a lot to do with when you're doing a new show, who's your audience? And now the question comes up again, again, are, you know, are the 12 year olds going to come to the show and all that? You know, so just like everything else you were referring to, uh, that Marion was referring to, it's a youth, it's much more youth driven industry, Broadway, than it used to be, I think. But, you know, as, as a composer and as a writer, uh, and, uh, golf, I think is the one show that I am very familiar with that I've seen, uh, which is brilliant and funny and, uh, uh, but it's played around the world, uh, and, uh, you know, our audience is different uh, watching it uh, in Japan, for example, as they would be seeing it here in the United States. Uh, yes. The, uh, every place I've gone with 
a show, it, the most fascinating thing in a lot of ways is you learn about theater culture in other places. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, first of all, uh, they there's they take it very seriously. I don't mean that they don't laugh because golf is obviously a comedy, but in the sense that this is almost a sacred thing, you know, it's a very beautiful because it's a ceremonial thing. And Japanese people, for instance, respect ceremony a great deal. So, yeah, absolutely. The tradition's wonderful there. Well, I have a question. I'm sure Marion will, you know, hone in on this one as well. But when you're writing a character or when you're writing the music for a specific character, are you thinking of a specific age for that character or is that something that you're not thinking of? Are you open to the possibilities that this character could be paid by a myriad of ages or is it honing in on a specific age for the character? I think it depends uh, because if you're telling a story, there are these at least relative associations of age of one person to another. So for instance, uh, if I work with a 60 year old actress and then change it to a 40 year old actress, that's going to change how I cast everybody else. And it works in both directions, I think. Uh, What I do find really satisfying is writing for I don't say older women. I don't even know what the right way to say it anymore is. But you can, you can say older woman. It's fine. I, I kind of, I just, yeah, I just want to be polite. And speaking of older, I also have to say happy birthday to you. You just had a birthday. Me? Uh, didn't you? I, uh, yeah, fairly recently. Yes, I did. Okay. I thought so. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I'll share my age. I don't care. I'm sixty. Oh, you're the you're the youngest one here, I think. That's right. Maybe, Matt, <laughs> maybe Matt's birthday. younger, as we're going to be meeting him. Thank at you for letting place. me come. The, the baby <laughs> of the group, yes. <laughs> it's nice, but uh, of course, uh, it's writing for older actresses, writing older characters, because uh, is infinitely more rewarding uh, because they're much more interesting, both as a character and as the actors and actresses who play them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have nothing against youth. I I, I tried it once, but, um... <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, you look at someone like Jerry Herman. Yeah, Jerry Herman uh, wrote these incredible roles uh, for great actresses uh, of uh, of a certain age, Mame and Dolly, and you mm-hmm. know, uh, Dear World, and even you know, with the uh, La Caja Falls, it's an older gay couple, um, and. You know, the interesting thing is that Carol Channing, the first time she did Dolly, she was 40 years old. When she came back to do it, the last time she did it on Broadway, she was 73. And I just interviewed Tony Tennille, and she just did Dolly. And she is, and she wears the age proudly and said this at the beginning of the interview, 81. And so I think she's the oldest actress to play the role. Uh, and she said, you know, it was quite a workout. Uh, but I, the wonderful thing about this is because of, as we grow in uh, age and stature and wisdom, we are able to bring different layers to the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting to go back and revisit a role that someone did at an earlier age as well. I think you can apply that to our lives, Richard. As we age and grow, we apply new layers to who we are. And we have a lot more, hopefully a lot more wisdom to grow and, and, and reach for and share with others. Um, you know, in, in 
a lot of cultures, older people are revered, you know, they're respected, they're revered for what it is that they know and what they can share um, and for the history that they can, can bring to any group of people and to their families and to, the, to their cultures. You know, it's just the American culture doesn't do that. You know? That's true. Uh, I want to shift gears for just a little bit. Uh, Michael, you wear so many hats in this business. And with all the hats that you wear, is there one particular hat that you feel fits you the most comfortably? Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, composing. Uh, and with that lyric writing, because when I was seven or however I was young, I was when I started playing piano, they would do the normal thing. They would put the normal beginner music book uh, in front of you. And it'd be a very simple Mozart, a very simple Bach. And instead of learning it, I, my teacher would play for me. Then I would create something that sounded like it. So my parents thought I was practicing. Eventually, eventually I, of course, I understood the, the importance of actually learning real music, but so my very first thing at the piano was making things up, you know? So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the most natural because I don't remember a time when I didn't play the piano or I didn't write music, you know? So yeah, that one, we could talk about which ones I do the worst too, but you know, but you have a new project on the works mm. uh, and, uh, and let's talk a little bit about that and tell everyone about uh, your upcoming show. And by the way, everyone, links and everything else will be on the YouTube channel. So anything that we talk about today, you will be able to go and find this information there very easily. So uh, tell us about your new project. Okay. Uh, I um, have a new musical. It's at least opening off Broadway uh, in a substantial way. We'll see what happens after that. You can never tell. Uh, but it's called The Days Beyond Today. And it will be my fifth original off-Broadway musical. Um, I always think about it's like um, Monopoly. If you have four houses, you could trade it in for a hotel. So I'm going to take four of my off-Broadway shows and trade them in for a Broadway show. Um, anyway, it's by Eric Krebs. Uh, it's the producers, the Eric Krebs. I wrote book, music, and lyrics. Uh, the book, uh, the story, rather, the book is based on, uh, I wrote with a wonderful, wonderful writer named Shannon Hunt. And... Uh, Anyway, the story, I could give you a little quick overview of the yeah, story. I know um, basically takes place in 1966. And there's this woman, Helen, a rich Long Island Jewish wife. Her kids just go, just went off to college and she her husband wants to take her to London for her 40th birthday. She's turning 40. So this is an age story as well. And uh, at the last minute, he can't go. So she goes with her sister Uh because he feels bad, he makes an appointment for her with a famous hairdresser. You know, this is when Vidal Sassoon and all those people became famous. Okay. And she may or may not have an affair with him. I don't want to give too much away, but that's the essence of it. It takes place in London in 1966. And it's about many things that that uh, that uh, Dr. Drew's been talking about, that Marion's been talking about, uh, and the way she feels. Uh, that's one reason I work with Shannon Hunt on this, because... Uh, Shannon is not 20. She's old enough where she could bring a lot of wisdom that I can't understand as a guy. So that that's it. And it's uh, we're do right now. The next thing is uh, I wrote this down because I can't remember a single thing. We're doing th uh, three industry performances at the Five 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 Theater on West Forty Second. Uh, if anybody um, goes to my website or whatever, just let me know if you're an industry person. There's still room. 
That's great. that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. My my pandemic. And is the music? Is there a certain uh, style to the music? I mean, when I think of London in uh, 1966, I'm thinking of Carnaby Street. I'm thinking of the Beatles. I'm thinking of all of that. Does the, your music go in that direction as well? Sure does. As a matter of fact, um, because there's so many different ages of the characters in the play, and because the uh, if you look at the top ten circa 1966, you know Billboard top ten. Mm-hmm. It's Burt Backrack, it's Perry Como, it's the Rolling Stones, it's the Kinks. It is the most eclectic <laughs> period. Louis Armstrong ha- is right next to the Beatles, you know, all this. Anyway, so it is a and Burt Backrack and that whole style. It's a very rich period to pull from. So the younger characters sing more like it would be the Kinks. The older characters would sing more like it would be Perry Como or Andy Williams or something like that. That's uh, that's wonderful. Judy, uh, do you have anything to ask before we bring on our next guest? No, I'm just thinking about what a transitional uh, time 1966 was. Like 66 to 68 was a major transitional time. And then by the time we hit 1968, that's when, you know, the the hippie movement was, was starting to really develop. And, you know, it, rock and roll was changing completely. Um, so, yeah, a, a really wonderful mix of different musical types in that era. Right. And maybe it was a transitional period for his leading character as well. Yes. We'll all have to show up to find out if it was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, and it's coming to a theater near you. I don't know when, but right now at least we're starting the process to get there. Well, congratulations and much success. Now, I did mention that we're going to cover many different corners of the business today. And I am very excited to bring on our next guest, uh, uh, Matt Scalarud uh, with Pink Banana. And when I was doing my show um, at uh, the Laurie Beachman Theater, a few years ago before a little thing called COVID uh, knocked us out of the water. Matt was my uh, publicist. He got the word out like nobody's business. Uh, But Matt, you, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you focus uh, Pink Banana. If you can tell everyone a little bit about Pink Banana. And it really is geared at the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And before I even say that, I'll say, I think, I feel like the universe brought us all together. So thank you, Richard, because uh, first of all, I was born in 1966. So there's that. (laughs) And my birthday was also May 7th uh, on (gasps) Sunday, Mary. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That was very cosmic. (laughs) So this this whole thing just kind of been listening and thinking like, I was just meant to be here with you all. And, uh, and and Marianne, I I hope when I'm uh, being 57 now, I hope when I'm 75, I hope I have that energy and that spark that you have because uh, because uh, it's uh, it's amazing what you've got. And uh, I just uh, I'm really crossing my fingers when I when I'm 75 that I've still got it like you. You were born on May 7th. Trust me. I was. Yes. (laughs) Astrologically, it's in the stars. You will. And so uh, um, since we're talking uh, about uh, ageism and everything, um, this is an issue. Uh, that is very prevalent in our community, the gay community, um, LGBTQ+. And uh, as people are getting older, you know, maybe both you and Marianne could offer advice, you know, for any of our viewers watching today. But in terms of the work that you're doing, um, are you also thinking about, um, I know that you've got the demographic of the LGBTQ plus community, Mm -hmm. but are you thinking in terms of age as well? Yeah, but it's uh, I think it's always been there since when I, you know, I was a, uh, I was so young when I started. I was 28, and I created a gay website 
And uh, and the only reason I think we succeeded and, and really took off is because number one, like, because I thought everybody was going to do it, but we created a, a website. We we uh, we didn't. There's no roadmaps. So we were kind of like going, uh, trying to be creative in the directions we're going. But I got out from behind the computer and started talking to people about, you know, what was this internet thing? And I was able to talk to people that were older than me. And they were, there was this real disconnect right even then. And, and so they saw, you know, they saw me being 28. And, you know, of course you're on the internet and, and they're looking at me. I don't get it. And I would explain it to them and I would try to show them, but without ever making them feel, I don't know, for lack of a better word, never make them feel stupid. Never make them feel like, because a lot of people would would come in and say, hey, don't worry about it. This You don't have to deal with all this stuff. I'll just take care of it for you. And that was not the right answer and, not, and it was not the right solution for them. And we actually grew our business working with different clients that were just very uncomfortable, but we helped make them comfortable with the internet. And uh, we just sort of rode that wave. And then we created all sorts of fun things online. And and uh, and it's oh, and it's always been that way. It's always been that way. So when you fast forward, you know, through the age of, you know, going from websites and emails into MySpace and Facebook and now video and apps. And so every one of those things has its own unique age demographic that uh, that's very important to try to at least get your head around and understand when clients are trying to figure out like, how can I be relevant? And I want, and they'll say, I want to be relevant on all these platforms. I'm curious, Matt, how, what's the difference um, with, with the company that you run oriented towards the LGBTQ community for yes. social media and public relations versus any other public relations and social media? I think uh, uh, it's, I think there's multiple layers to it, but I think part of it is uh, relationships and not like deeper knowledge into just the specifics of how the LGBT community is, uh, you know, uh, reacts or responds or does things online. And um, because I think, I think it's hard in today's world to try to be all things to all people. So at the very beginning, we just decided, especially with the internet, the internet kind of came along and started to create more, you know, in some ways it was like more fractured, but what it was doing was creating more opportunities in the niche, uh, smaller niche communities. And so I always felt the niche was the opportunity. And so, um, so we just decided a long time ago to just try to be our very best at, at focusing on the LGBT community. And I think that's paid off because I think especially in today's world, um, any, any companies that are just trying to help others promote themselves, um, some of the best ones are those that are smaller, more nimble, and uh, really focus on a, on a specific target. Well, Matt, what I really love and admire about you as, uh, you know, following you on LinkedIn is that you really um, celebrate uh, not only... Uh, through the work that you're doing, but you really get into the heart of what makes the individual unique in the business. Um, mm -hmm. You've given me a chance to be on your platform and you've given so many other people a chance. When you first started out, uh, you pretty much were it, you know, and then of course, that's not the case now. Yeah. And we are all in a business, uh, all of us, um, where there's a lot of noise out there. How do you rise above the noise? Yeah, uh, I think of that actually a lot um, because it's really easy to watch what everyone else is doing and just say, oh, I, I, I need to be like that or I need to do that too. And I think today's world is actually more poignant and more important to really focus on that than ever before. Because if you go, um, if you throw yourself on TikTok, you're gonna, you'll, for, your first thought is, you know, first it's, you'll think you're, it's overwhelming and you'll be like, I can't, I can't act like those kids. And of course, ageism comes right in here too. You know, there's these kids are very popular on whether it's their YouTube show or they're on, they're on TikTok and they're doing things and you're realizing that's not you. But then you start thinking, well, but there are other people out there. And sometimes you just have to set way back and say, forget what everybody else is doing. What do I want to do? 
-hmm. And so, um, but of course you're always still like, I don't, I don't think that's a black and white situation because you know, like you get you for us, for me and for our company, we create content. We just started to try to figure out and listen to what do people seem to resonate with. And so we found our own path for creating content as, as many, many other folks from all ages have done as well. And we've learned about what kind of resonates, whether we post our content on Twitter, which we do a lot of Twitter and uh, we do a lot of Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, we put it on Facebook, Instagram or TikTok, every one of those. And we kind of watch and see like how people respond. And every once in a while, like the best TikTok video I ever made by far that got the most views was me interviewing somebody who's well into his 60s that does a lot of LGBT marketing in uh, Palm Springs. And people loved him there. And I don't know what the magic was, but that thing took off. And, and I, I've never had that success since. Wow. Well, bring me on. We'll create it again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, want, I, I want just okay, I want want to speak to something that you just said. No, it, go ahead. Yeah, it's it really is about authenticity. Oh, and yeah. instead yeah. of trying to, what do they want now? What do they want now? And chasing after that, trying to fit in. When as a younger actress, um, I got sometimes she's not black enough. Like, yeah. what the hell did that mean? You know, back in the 60s, early 70s. And and I would say, well, I am black. For me to try to play back, black would be redundant. What, what, what does that mean? I feel the same way now about being an older woman. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't, do, you know, am I supposed to, like, be doddering and 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 frail and all that's not who I am inherently. So and I it felt um really denigrating to yeah. women and to my age to sort of play some sort of stereotype that other people had in their head. Yeah. I just thought do me authentically mm -hmm. me and then allow the world to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And, and what Richard was referring to is that, uh, on, you know, it's almost like a side note. I created this show online to, that was uh, uh, never really meant to be anything more than just keeping it a little busy when the pandemic first started. And uh, it has taken off. And, and I've learned how to edit and do the, And now, uh, but now um, I've got publicists and all sorts of folks that are asking to be interviewed. And so that, I, but that's also in a, Another sense, it's something that it, it's a skill set or something I never even knew I was able to do, which is just they're very conversational. So I just talk to people and I let them kind of tell their story. And and uh, I try to keep it short and sweet because people's attention spans on these platforms is not as long as we'd like. Although I shouldn't say that because we're going to run into an hour and you'll be like, hey, they're going to listen to this whole, this whole interview. They, they do turn in. Marianne, I have a question for you. Uh, and this goes along with what Matt's talking about. Um, you have embraced social media and social media has embraced you. Um, do you have a favorite platform that you feel um, resonates the most with you? And if so, what is it about that platform that works for you? Uh, again, during the pandemic, what I embraced was Clubhouse. It's an audio app. Mm. And um, you can't, you just, it's just voice. I, I liken it between a, a podcast and a party line. That's kind of like what it is. And there are different groups that have different rooms and they house different conversations. I made it a point to go into the rooms where there were older women. And I made a point to go into the rooms where there were the entertainment industry. 
And I tried to bring those two groups together by telling the new Hollywood that when you do not include characters that are older and nuanced and complicated and had real lives, you're leaving money on the table. Uh, some of those young producers heard me and I've had been booked three jobs in L I'm living in Chicago right now, three jobs that I've had to fly into LA for that they just cast me for. And that's because they heard what I was saying and realized that, um, yeah, they were right. And especially with some of the younger women who are in their late forties, early fifties, they, I've changed their mindset about things and they realize that they're going to get older too. And some of them have said, I want to be, I want to be your kind of old. And so I'm going to start writing that now into my, into my screenplays and things like that. So um, I would say, but I'm on Instagram a lot. Can mm -hmm. I plug my Instagram campaign? Of course. And, and Judy, I hope you will join. I Absolutely. have an Instagram campaign. It's called, uh, it's at say your age underscore loud and proud. And I'm encouraging women to, there you go, thank you, to, uh, to descend, DM me a picture with your name and your age on it. If you want to have a little 50-word bio or something you want to plug, a website or whatever, I can, we can do that too. Because my moniker, my handle on Instagram is Marianne Alda underscore aging shamelessly. And that is my mantra. We need to take the shame out of getting older because it's affecting our, it's actually affecting our longevity because uh, Becca Levy has shown in an, um, a, a thing that she did, an experiment she did at, at uh, Harvard, I believe, or was it Yale? It was one of those two. Uh, that people who have a positive mindset about getting older live on average seven and a half years longer than people who have a negative um, identification with getting older. So we need to, we really need to change that. So I've started this campaign, say your age, loud and proud. And once we own it and embrace it, we give other people permission to own it and embrace it too. And I always I say- I my hands a lot, don't I? <laughs> no, it's, it's perfectly fine. I, and I always say to my friends and, you know, and Matt, you'll uh, you absolutely understand this with me. You know, I'm 62, uh, but I came along, I came through uh, the 80s when so many in our community um, did not live to be 62. Right. And they didn't live to be our age. And I say to my friends who say, well, I never mentioned my age. I go, stop it. I said, you need to acknowledge your age for every person who didn't have the luxury of getting to that age. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as we can remain healthy and vibrant and, uh, uh, and add to our communities and the world, uh, everyone, and with Marianne, Say your age, loud and proud. Uh, Michael, I want to ask you, because with the work that you do, um, do you have to rely as much on social media as perhaps the rest of us? Less so, because it's the show itself that really would get the promotion and the press. That being said, 
I, I can't, I don't know why proud is the right word, but I'm proud of my LinkedIn network. I think that I've spent a lot of time building that into something nice. Um, but that's the main one. Uh, Facebook too, of course. Uh, but that's it. I don't tweet. I don't Instagram or anything. Um, I will shout out a wonderful alternative social media platform for a specific kind of person. Uh, I travel an awful lot. I spend my summers overseas and uh, I belong to a group called Internations and I just want to plug them because they're great for people to travel. Uh, they are just an association, a social association of people from all over the world in whatever country, uh, major city you're in, uh, there are people to meet. So next time you're in Shanghai and you don't know someone, just tell them you're in Shanghai and there's something to do. Do they have chapters in the United States as well or is it all international? There are, sure, yeah. Internations, I'll have to look at Internations, yeah, for any of your international people. Yeah. So, yeah but, but it doesn't, yeah, I don't, I this so, social media thing, my publicist had said, well, you, this is years and years ago, said, well, you must be on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, so I am and just built it over time. But yeah. So, I actually you know. left Facebook for five months. I left in uh, on December 1st. And I just, because it, it, so many people were saying, I am starting to do live performances again. And because of that, I go on to post where my next appearance is and, uh, or whatever. But um, Matt, there's so much going on with, uh, and I also left Twitter again, and I came back to Twitter because, believe it or not, even though I disagree with a lot of what this man has to say, uh, Elon Musk, when he took over, I left Twitter. Um, but I saw him on Bill Maher uh, last week. Yeah, I did. did you see it? He convinced me to come back. Wow. Um, so he did a powerful job for Twitter mm -hmm. by convincing me that it was an important platform Uh to get the word out for what I do. And yep. uh, so I came back uh, after a while. But with us hearing about uh, the pros and cons of Twitter and then Facebook and then uh, TikTok, is TikTok going to be banned in some states and whatever? How do you navigate those waters uh, in terms of your clients who are saying, well, where should I put my energy? What yeah. do you say to them? Well, it's really it's really tricky because uh, yeah, a lot of headwinds. I mean, basically, everybody loves uh, you know uh, Instagram and and they want to be on Facebook. One of the one of the things that I have to factor in is almost everyone's able to promote themselves on Facebook. Uh, they don't need me for that. And uh, in fact, you see a lot of a lot of folks are just you know boosting their posts on Instagram. And so sometimes half the posts I see in an Instagram feed will be sponsored posts, you know, to promote more followers or go to their profile. So they're all doing it themselves, and they've all figured out how to like just boost those numbers. But when you when it comes to performance to with things where uh, I would just say the one that does the most heavy lifting for us is, is Twitter and um, and I will tell especially for Michael uh, the theatrical world is is massive and huge on Twitter it's like really yeah. turned into this like and so like when we so when I go to a performance uh, last weekend or two weekends ago I, went, I saw Camelot I saw the parade and I posted and tagged them it's interesting because it's one of the few industries they actually retweet and comment and share. The, the production companies themselves or whoever is managing their social, which you don't see in a lot of other industries, like especially if you're dealing with film and so, so forth, they're kind of like, they're already fat, dumb and happy. They've got a system in place. that has been marketing <laughs> film for a long time. Well, but I, I think theaters had a tougher time in the years past. So they really yeah. gravitated towards the, towards Twitter because it's the most collaborative. It's the one well, you 
theater is still, I mean, it's, it's coming back. It's not back completely. Yeah. Um, we've just had four casualties on Broadway uh, that, especially in Phantom of the Opera, after yeah. how many years is gone, that was a, a major casualty of COVID. Uh, so it's, it's slowly coming back. But there used to be a time where, and I don't even know if it still exists or not, uh, where people would check in where they are. And uh, are people still doing that or is that pretty much faded away? No, um, I, I do it. Um, I do it because a lot of times when I'm traveling uh, and so forth, anyway, I just make it a habit. My husband does too. And we both just, it's kind of a fun little game. But um, we check in on, it was Foursquare kind of turned into Swarm, which is a very geeky thing to do. But it's very handy for me because then when I need to, I can go back, especially if like I'm traveling somewhere, I can go back and figure out where have I been all day so that when I'm like, what if I'm posting photos or whatever I'm doing, I basically I kind of forget the exact names of some of the places that I've been to so or the restaurant or the site so I'll do the same even though when I'm on Broadway I'll post there and it'll I'll even try to tag what I'm seeing then I can just always kind of go back it's a nice little way to it's my own little personal uh, journal and history history of where I've been my husband and I do a travel blog when we travel for the same reason yeah. which is incredible by the way uh, do you have a pl an, another vacation coming up Judy by the way yeah, we're gonna do another uh, two and a half to three months. Uh, we're just, Tom was just planning it today. <laughs> so this time we're heading mostly to uh, the Caribbean, various islands, um, island hopping, uh, some Mexico, uh, Costa Rica. So, well, intronation. That direction. Our plug for intronations today. If Thank you. Has, I appreciate uh, that. From there. Um, and uh, Marion, uh, you know, with uh, the business has changed a lot uh, since for all of us. Um, what do you think is the biggest change that you've noticed in the business outside of social media? Things that you are proud of in terms of what you've seen as you've gotten older in the business and things that you missed that were in place when you first began? Wow, that, that's a lot to unpack there. Um, the thing that I would say, the, the greatest impact that I've seen on um, on the industry is I believe it's become much more diverse, much more open to diversity. Um, and in that respect, it feels a lot more collaborative. You know, it's just like, it, it, it's, it's, it's yummy. <laughs> that's, that's the best word I can come up with. It's really, it's really yummy. It's much more, people are, tend to be more, more open-minded. And it, there was a, a time back in the day when the decision makers would say, I would, would say, well, they would be the determining factor about um, what black is supposed to be, for example. And those decision makers were usually white and they were the ones who decided that I was not black enough. Now the decision makers are much, seem to be much more open to recognizing what they don't know and listening and taking that into consideration and making changes. That seems to be my, and also there are more, there's more diversity at the table to begin mm -hmm. with. So there are some changes uh, that are starting to happen. And that's, I saw that happen ethnically. I've seen it happen now with, um, you know, with the transgender community and the, and the LGBTQ community and with 
now it's it's just starting to happen with older people and the younger people are starting to listen to older people about what it's like to be old as opposed to writing dumb old people jokes in mm. there, you know, or making us the butt of the joke or, you know, the punchline. Um, well, the interesting yeah, thing is yeah. designing women, um, all four of those women are, except for Sophia, are in their 50s. And, you know, and a lot of people, because of the time frame when it was done, people look at the Golden Girls as an older, um, much older than the characters that they're playing. Mm -hmm. And it was also very interesting that when it, it was a hard sell to sell that show to NBC and it became for the longest time their biggest moneymaker. So people pay attention. People are still watching the Golden Girls. Yes. Hey, they're, they're, they're still watching it. And, and then, too, at that time, though, the, you know, I wouldn't be caught dead in a house dress or a moomoo. You know what uh. I'm saying? But that's what my mother wore. And that's what women wore you know, at a certain age. So the, the times have changed. Fashions mm -hmm. have changed. But sometimes when thinking about what it's like to be older, Sometimes younger writers were thinking about what it was like to be older back then, and they haven't right. recognized that the times have changed now. Right. Old is not what it used to be. Right. Well, Marion, if you don't mind, I, I'm going to also mention you also uh, were on Designing Women. And that show, of course, uh, you know, also celebrated older women. It did. It did. And, and I played a recurring character on that show, and I think... They could bring that character back and spin her off. I'm just saying, I agree. Thomas I agree. wherever you are. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, Michael, uh, same thing that I want to ask you uh, from your perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, from your first off-Broadway uh, musical uh, to your current uh, Broadway musical, which is heading to Broadway. Um, so, yes. Uh, just, we're going to say yes. yes. Uh, we're manifesting that. So, what are, I mean, has it gotten easier for you as you've gotten older or do you find that it's tougher because you also have the body of worth, as I like to refer to it, that's behind you that you have to, do you feel that you have to top what you've done before or is each project its own unique entity for you? Ah. Uh both in a way that they each are their own thing. But uh, there's, there's two, there's two answers. Like for me to begin with, am I writing something new? Am I writing, is this piece going to be better than the other pieces? Not that I don't like the other pieces, but am I improving? And then the other thing is uh, less self-enriching, which is just like, can this one be more successful than whatever the most successful one was? And you have to ride those two things at the same time. So sometimes they conflict, sometimes they don't. But I, what I found, I, I you know, um, in terms of age or perceived age or whatever, is uh, when I started, I looked too young, I think, which works very well for actors, but not so well for writers. Now that I look like I have a couple miles on me, I think that people treat me with a little bit more gravitas or I have more gravitas. Mm -hmm. Very little, but little at least. Well, I'll walk into an audition and tell them I'm 80. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. You go, wow, great for your age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so I've, I've aged in I've aged into some kind of senior management position. Yeah. I imagine it's great. It's it's interesting though. It's it can still lead to ageism, and this is not just for women, but um my husband is a writer uh and for television. And for one job he went into a couple of years ago, he walked in and you know did the interview and he knew. They loved him. I mean, he had exactly what they were looking for. But then the guy looked at him and goes, you know, it's too bad. We already have our gray hair. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Exactly. That's bad. Oh, so, God. you know, it exists. You know, that, again, not just to women. And I would not expect it on that side of the table. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. And well, then you they know, were dumb enough to say it. Yeah, really. uh, I mean, that, that sounds um, like an HR issue to me. My God. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it's unbelievable that, uh, you know, that people are that closed-minded because that is a closed-minded comment. Uh, Matt, same thing for you. Um, and you touched upon it a little bit, uh, but the biggest change that you've seen in terms of the work that you do, mm -hmm. um, that you... Uh, miss from what was in place when you first began and uh, what are the biggest challenges that you are facing today with the work that you're doing? Yeah, well, let's see. I mean, I just, uh, and I, I kind of actually love watching the evolution of it, but it's, you know, we like, I look at it from this big picture, you know, once upon a time, I like saying that, once upon a time we had three channels on our TV, then we had more, then, then, then cable TV came along and like, wow, look at all this. And the internet came along and just made it, you know, that much more, uh, so much more opportunity, but it was still, it was still people like myself forming a company that was a media company. Everything was still media oriented. It was media organizations. And um, where we're at in today's world, if you just kind of skip almost 30 years, is that now it's, it's much more the the media power of one. And so one individual, that's what influencers are. That's what, but that whole world, that whole world that we're even in that world where individuals, whether it was Donald Trump or Elon Musk or others, there's, there, there's this whole new resurgence as far as like of, of the individual personalities being able to really put themselves out there in a way that they could never before because they would have had to rely on media companies to get them out there in this way. Now they can just go straight out straight to their audience. So that applies to everything that applies to individuals being influencers that applies to all of us being able to promote ourselves or, or speak directly to our towards theater companies being able to interact with their audience or pride festivals or any events interacting with the people that are at their event and sharing and commenting and that whole world as far as like going into that going down to the individual whether it's uh, is a is an amazing change and i actually think that we're still in that transition and then we're not always like even mentally we i don't think we're like we've really wrapped our heads around you know where it's really going to ultimately go but um but ultimately i see all that and i think the challenge is i don't feel a challenge so personally as much as just in general it's just the challenge will always be um you know will you know for anybody that's in this is navigating this space because uh especially though i i feel bad when i look at a lot of influencers that i've come to know over the years where they they pop out on instagram and they wanted to be famous and um and they realize, you know, like now you look at 10 years later and most of them are just not doing it anymore because there's a variety of reasons why it was just never going to work out as something that they weren't going to get rich and famous and all become the next Kardashian. Although everybody and, and a lot of people want it and they all put themselves out there and say, this is who I want to be. And it's okay. just it's a, it's a very interesting landscape. 
It is. I can't believe this, but this hour has flown. I, I don't <laughs> think I, I, Judy, don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, I've never that. known a, a show that has flown as quick as this one. Uh, but don't go anywhere because each of you are going to get a chance to get your final word today. Huh? It can be about anything that we talked about that you wish to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave with everyone watching here. And if there's anything that we didn't cover that you wish that we had also, send me that information and I will get that on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to begin and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Marion, then Michael, then Matt and Judy. As always, you will have the final word today. Um, my What I want to talk about is, as I said, uh, you know, it's very interesting. Next Thursday, I have Matt Baum on the show and he has a new book out called, Hey, honey, I'm homo. Um, and uh, it's about how gays have been depicted in sitcoms throughout history. And I found him because by accident, it popped up in my feed. I listened to this talk that he did on Leslie Jordan. And it was so life affirming to me. And, I, and I'm not ashamed to say I cried because I feel that we lost Leslie too soon. One of the funniest men on the planet. And, I, and he was working, he was on a hit sitcom and I feel that he had so much more to give. And to me, that lesson that I get from that is we never know when our number is gonna be called. So every day, Give whatever you can give to make the world a better place. Um, I think it's important, as he said also, that the turning point for him was when he began to say, how can I be of service to you? And that, to me, is the greatest gift that all of us can leave and the greatest legacy that we can live with everyone. How can we be of service to each other? I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone. I want you all to do this now. Pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a long time. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. And let that person know how they've made an impact on your life. It's very interesting. This week is... Uh, a, a teacher appreciation week. And I'm sure that we all have that person in our uh, background, or maybe they're still very much side by side with us who have made an impact or a difference in our lives. And I think that if we all could pick up the phone and call that person and say, you made a real difference in my life, you're going to make their life a little bit better. I have a dear friend, he says, we're all in this together, but we're in, uh, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen. And Marion, I'm turning it over to you. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you. Marion, it's all yours. Oh, Richard, that's a tough act to follow. But <laughs> I, I, I will say this. You know, we talk about demographics. You know, demographics seem to be the bottom line for what would sell or what wouldn't on television or, or in theater or in the movies. But with the advance of modern technology, it's become more about psychographics. It's not your age or your, your, your gender or your um, ethnicity that, that makes people alike. People are grouped according to their, their interests 
and their spirituality and what they have in common. So let's forget about demographics and just let's hone in on the psychographics because we're a lot more alike than we are different. And with that, bye. Thank you, Marianne. Oh, me? Yeah. By the way, no one told me how after I make whatever pronouncements I'm about to make, I'm supposed to get off of this. Do you do that for me? Do you take me off the thing or am I just going gonna, gonna to be on for the rest of the week? Okay. Richard will take, will take you off. once. Richard will. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Um, I What I would like to do say, uh, this echoes what Richard said right before he left, uh, that is Teacher's Appreciation Day. I, my father was a principal, my mom's a teacher, my late wife was a teacher, all this. And so I understand the importance of teaching. Uh, and uh, with calling someone, and that was the other thing you mentioned, calling someone, what I'm going to do is going to try to one-up that, uh, do go a little bit above and beyond and write a letter to um, the best teacher I ever had, a uh, music teacher when I was in high school who taught me music theory and changed the trajectory of everything and even after going to undergrad and grad and everything he's still the best and most important teacher i ever had so his name is kenneth soper but i'm going to write him a letter based on what richard said so thank you richard for inspiring that terrific thank you michael thank you goodbye matt oh well i absolutely love what marianne said i i tell people this often it is funny she and i are very well aligned it's the birthday thing but uh we have so much more in common in the world than we have as differences. And sometimes we focus on the differences too much and uh, we should celebrate what we have in celebrate the differences, but focus on what we have in common. But, uh, but yeah, no, and, uh, but my main thing is just simply always, and it kind of is related to that, which is that when you're dealing with promoting yourself online in any way, shape or form, always just remember there's a person on the other side. And uh, I find true success on in any type of online marketing is, is, is adding, uh, realizing there's a human element to it. And the human element I find is where all the success lies because people people do business with people that they know, that they like, and it's always going to be that way. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. And finally, you know, we can't help getting older, but we don't have to get old. Old being old is a state of mind. I'm gonna I'm never gonna be old. I've already decided that. And there's no reason that age make any difference in your life except knowing that you have more to share, more to give, more wisdom, if you will, and that you can be the person that you were always meant to be now without some of the constraints that there are when you're younger. So measure your age by your friends, not by your years, and get a little twinkle in your wrinkle. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank <laughs> you.